0: We're going to take a break from our series in the gospel of luke this morning we'll jump back into luke next week we're looking at second chronicles chapter 20 let's pray for god's help god would you help us as we we take a few minutes here to explore your word would you help us to engage it with everything in us would you help us to listen And, and not only hear but respond to what we hear We thank you for your word. It's a treasure to us. Lord, would you help us to treat it as a treasure? Would you help us to to value what we hear from it and to respond? We want to be doers of your word, not only hearers. So help us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can you remember a time when you felt like your back was just up against a wall? You just cornered by circumstances and you felt helpless. I mean, we've we've all been there, right? You're facing something and you don't know what to do about it. It's it's so heavy. There's this ancient story found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that answers the very question of, well, what am I going to do when I don't know what to do? When I'm facing something that's so heavy, that's so outrageous, that feels so overwhelming, and I don't know what to do about it, this story in Second Chronicles chapter 20 answers it tells us what we should do. It's very helpful. It has served me, and I, I'm really thankful for it. I think a little history is important as we dive into Second Chronicles, though. Chronicles, both first and second, it, it highlights the southern nation of Judah, in the line of King David in particular. Here in Second Chronicles 20, we're going to hone in on Jehoshaphat. This is the great, great, great grandson of King David. And he rules over the nation of Judah, the southern nation. Now, you, if, if you study the history of Israel, after David came Solomon, and then after that, the kingdom was divided. You had northern Israel, and then southern Judah and, and they, they were divided and, and oftentimes when you're reading scripture uh, it refers to israel as a whole as israel and it could be confusing like is this judah is this israel and you see separate kings in each uh, nation uh, but here it's focused on the southern kingdom of judah in the line of king david and jehoshaphat this king that we're going to read about he is not a perfect man he makes an alliance Uh, just before 2 Chronicles 20, he makes this alliance with King Ahab, who is one of the most wicked kings of the northern nation of Israel. And he seals this alliance by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. And so it's just crazy complicated and messy and political. Jehoshaphat actually almost dies in a battle he should not have been in, and he's rebuked by a prophet of the Lord for even going to that battle to begin with. And he's convicted so much by the word of the Lord, he then goes throughout the the nation of Judah. He sends people throughout the nation of Judah uh, teaching the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord. And that's where we are now in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we read this, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Mayunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at uh, Hazazen, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. We'll pause there. They're on your front porch, Jehoshaphat. They're in your front yard. This army, it's coming for you. It's coming for us hey, Jehoshaphat, I know you're trying to catch your breath from the battle you were just fighting that you shouldn't have been in, but get ready, because there's another one coming your way. And they're less than 30 miles away. What are you going to do, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah? Well, Jehoshaphat prays. Number one, Jehoshaphat prays. Let's read about it. Pick up in verse three. Alarmed. Oh, he's scared. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name saying if calamity comes upon us whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us but now here are men from ammon and moab and mount seir whose territory you would not allow israel to invade when they came from egypt so they turned away from them and did not destroy them See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. We'll pause. Okay, for for Jehoshaphat and for the nation of Judah, these are desperate times, life-threatening times. It doesn't get more desperate than this. Jehoshaphat and his army, they had just narrowly escaped a war just a couple chapters before this. They are weakened. They are unprepared. What would you do if you were Jehoshaphat? What would you do what will you do well not when moab attacks you <laughs> what will you do if you hear the words it's cancer what will you do if you hear the words i don't love you anymore whatever the thing is the circumstance is that's threatening your well-being and your life what will you do when it comes at you and it's like so overwhelming you have no idea how to respond to it what will you do i I don't wish those things upon you but church we live in a broken world we live in a sin-sick world yes we are redeemed in christ jesus new creations in christ but listen we live in a broken world we face uh, calamity we face uh, all kinds of oppressive things we face all kinds of heartache and trouble so what are we going to do when it comes our way King Jehoshaphat, he prays. He prays in the Lord's presence at the temple. The temple was, well, it's a special, there's a special emphasis on the temple in Chronicles because the temple was the place of God's special presence, place of sacrifice. So Jehoshaphat, he leads all the people, young and old, to do the same. He proclaims a fast. Usually a fast was proclaimed when there was this declaration of repentance and the need for direction There is a need right now. And so fasting was about willing to go without in order to express a desperate need before the Lord. He stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord and he does something seemingly unspectacular for a king. He prays. We, We read it. Verses 6 through 12. His prayer... It's an appeal to the facts of the situation. talks about who God is, what God has done in past history. But when you start to study what he's saying as king, we start to find out that actually he's including parts of his his great-great-great-grandfather's prayer, King David, when the temple was being uh, not built yet, but they were collecting items to build it. Then he quotes parts of King Solomon's prayer, David's son, at the dedication of the temple. And then he goes back 400 years to the time of Moses and Joshua. He's quoting parts of Deuteronomy 2. And and in the same prayer, he goes back 1,000 years uh, to Abraham. What is Jehoshaphat doing? Jehoshaphat anchors his prayer in redemptive history. Promises were made in the Old Testament. Promises had been made in history to Abraham that the land that they were standing on belonged to his family, to Israel and Judah. And that they would become a blessing to all the nations. That Israel would become a blessing to all the nations. And so, Jehoshaphat is looking to these promises that God made to his forefathers, to those who had gone before him, and he's holding on to those promises. He leans on the Abrahamic covenant, on the Mosaic covenant, on the Davidic covenant. Covenant is a promise. We know the beauty of promises and how, how important they are. In our day, we talk about the covenant of marriage where two are coming together and they're making promises to stand with each other. It's a beautiful thing. We hear, Jehoshaphat is saying, listen, these people groups, they are threatening the possession, God, that you have given us. They're threatening the inheritance that is ours. Are you going to make good on your pledge, God? Good on your promise? You know, when someone promises something to you, I like this. One author says, you create a small sanctuary of trust within a jungle of unpredictability. I like that. You create a small sanctuary of trust within a jungle of unpredictability when someone makes a promise to you. Man, like that covenant, I'm with you. Yeah, the world might fall apart, but I'm with you. I'm standing with you. And that's what Jehoshaphat is leaning on. Here are the facts, Lord, the past, what, what, how you've been faithful in times past. But here's the present situation. Will, will you judge these who are coming against us? Because we have no power. We're helpless. We don't know what to do. We don't have an answer. We don't have a plan. But our eyes are on you. Do you see what he says here? We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's one of the most beautiful prayers that I've ever read. It's a a beautiful expression of trust. Trouble has a way of, of helping us see how helpless we really are. How out of control we really are. Right? It has a way of causing us to look to the Lord in ways we would not have done had the trouble not been there. I know you... I know you've experienced that because you live in the same world I do. You get the news, comes out of nowhere, the last thing on earth you expected to hear, and it's heartbreaking. It's a circumstance that you did not ask for, you did not expect. And you got to keep going in life. I mean, you got kids to feed, right? You got bills to pay. You got a job to do. But that circumstance that has come at you, and and, and basically everything's moving in slow motion around you because of the horror of this circumstance. That news, that announcement that came at you is so heavy, it's it's all consuming, and you feel helpless, and you don't know what to do. could be a diagnosis. could be the report of heartache expressed through other family members or friends. You could be overwhelmed by what's going on in our nation. Whatever it is, it sends you into kind of a, a tailspin. You feel helpless. I know you can relate. So when cares and troubles keep piling up and we feel exasperated and fearful or despairing, backs against the wall, right? What are we going to do? What are we going to do in that moment? It's not if, it's when that happens. Well, listen, when we pray, we are not surrendering to cold, impersonal fatalism. We're not speaking into this black mass of nothingness. We're speaking into the ear of a personal and active God who's filled with love and is concerned about justice, who cares about the details of our lives. You know, my kids, they enjoyed, uh, I mean, my older boys, the, uh, we read to them The Big Friendly Giant, that, that book, BFG. Love it. Movie's okay. It's cool. Uh, but in, in the movie, if you remember, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, The Big Friendly Giant, he kidnaps a girl, a little, you know, uh, A girl. Uh, and they become friends. And eventually, they, um, she says this. She, she really draws close to him. And, and, and she says, uh, BFG, you can hear the ants crittering. You can hear the ladybugs walking on leaves and spiders spinning webs and stars whispering to each other because the BFG had big ears. He could hear everything. You, you can hear all these things, but can you hear me? And that's how she felt because they were separated and she, she wanted to ensure that he could hear her. Yeah, you can hear the ladybugs crittering on the leaves and the spiders spinning their webs. And, and listen, church, that's how we can feel about God at times when we're facing trouble. Yeah, God, you, you put everything in, into place, the stars in place. You, you, you keep my heart beating and give me breath in my lungs. You, you hold me together. I mean, Lord, you're, you're involved in, in, in the affairs of life, and you're not, you care, but, but can you really hear me? Can you really hear me? Well, second, God speaks. Jehoshaphat prays, but God speaks. Look with me in verse fourteen. When the spirit of the Lord, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of uh, Jehiel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of, of the gorge in the desert of uh, Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. God speaks. God chooses to speak through Jehaziel. Who? Exactly. Uh, We've never met this person before. Apparently, they have some credentials, though. It's a Levite a musician, a singer who helped lead corporate worship for Israel, for Judah. His family line goes as far back as Asaph of King David's time. So this guy is legit, but what he has to say is even more legit. What does he say? He says, listen, this is what Yahweh says to you. Don't be afraid. Take your stand. See the Lord's deliverance. And there's this, this, all three phrases that I just read have this double emphasis, like do not be afraid, like don't be afraid. (laughs) Take your stand. Take it. See the Lord's deliverance. It's happening. God knew their fear. He knew their discouragement. He was aware of all the details that they were facing. And he lays out his own details. And he emphasizes something very important. The battle, he says, is mine. It's not yours. Go stand firm. Take your place. But you won't be doing the fighting. Watch and see. Watch and see what I will give you. Can you think of a better response? Can you think of anything better? I mean, that's what you want to hear. He's saying you can go into this knowing that I will be with you. But you know, these promises of God require something of Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. What, what does it require? Trust. Here's the thing. We hear promises of God. We, hear, we could hear about Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. We can, and we can hear about um, the reality of what it means to follow him, and we can say, all right, yeah, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying. And we can even then ratchet that up a little bit. I agree with what you're saying, uh, but do we believe it? We can say, I know it. We can acknowledge it. We can agree with it, but do we believe it? You know, what does that mean? What does belief look like? Let's explore what belief looks like in Jehoshaphat's life because God has spoken promises. And now third, Jehoshaphat believes. What does it look like? How do we know that he believes? Well, let's check it out. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the... uh, the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. How do we know that Jehoshaphat believed? He worships face on the ground, the king. This is the king of Judah. He gets on his face. And all the people see him getting on his face and they fall on their faces. You ever done that? You ever bow before the Lord in humble adoration? You ever just get on your knees before God? I mean, we do all kinds of express worship. Some of it makes, I don't know, some of it makes you really uncomfortable. Some of it makes me uncomfortable. There's all kinds of ex- expressions of worship and adoration and prayer. We lift our hands when we sing. You see a lot of that. Some people are like low lifters, some people are high lifters. (laughs) Some people are both. I don't know. (laughs) We see this even in in concerts. I mean you can go to a concert and people are like, wow. Yeah, it's it's this is about worship. It's about surrender. It's about exalting the one who's before us. But there's also other ways of express worship that I think would be good for us to practice. It'd be good for us to stretch ourselves. Here is Jehoshaphat on his face, face on the floor. And all of Judah is around him, face just on the floor before the Lord. Yeah, I think he's laying down just on, on the floor. Maybe we should begin to incorporate some of these expressions of worship into our own lives. It wouldn't be a bad thing. Kids ever find you on, on your face? Whoa. Dad, you good? <laughs> Some people stood up and praised God in a very loud voice, top of their lungs. And then in verses 20 through 22, we see Jehoshaphat, he acts. He, he, it moves from belief to action. I mean, his belief is shown through his action. Early in the morning, they left for the valley where this battle was going to happen. Early in the morning. I like that. It wasn't later in the morning. It wasn't in the afternoon. It was early in the morning. Uh, Listen, kids get up early in the morning on Christmas Day. Do you know why they get up? There is an expectation brewing in their hearts. There is an excitement. They know what's coming next. Jehoshaphat had expectation. He had excitement. He knew what was coming next. God had made some promises And Jehoshaphat was leading the way. So what happened? He had moved from fear to faith. Something changed. The word of God, that's what happened. The word of God had moved from ear to heart to mouth to feet. Now what do I mean? Jehoshaphat heard the word spoken. He believed it. Then he spoke it, and it moved him to action. I like that. We might hear the word of God, but do we believe it? We might believe it, but will we speak it? We, we might speak it, but does it move us to action? Now, this is about trust, wholehearted faith in what God has said. My strength is, is coming from His word, His promise. And that, that's what Jehoshaphat had that morning that he got up with his army and his nation. He had the promises of God. And so here we see in verse 20, Jehoshaphat's pre-battle speech. I like this. This is, you guys probably have seen Lord of the Rings, uh, the, the return of the king, where you have King uh, Rohan rallying his army just before this, this huge fight. And he's riding on his horse and he's got his sword up and he's, he's knocking the spears of the guys that are on the front line. And he's yelling and he's, it's just this huge pre-battle speech. I love that. You, gives you goosebumps, you're like, "Yeah, let's go." I'm always a little concerned about the guys in the back row. Like, uh, what was what he saying? When's this happening?" What, huh? Oh, OK, okay. <laughs> Here it is, his pre-battle speech, and he says, "Listen, listen, hear me. pay careful attention, is what he's saying. And listen, church, we could be so busy trying to figure out our way around or through the circumstances of our lives that we fail to listen that we fail to in the moment of desperation and helplessness come before the Lord and listen speak to me Lord in the moment of this craziness in this craziness I feel so out of control I don't know what to do my eyes are on you Lord his speech is a call to faith what's he say have faith in Yahweh. Have faith in his prophets. Yahweh's word. When I say Yahweh, we're talking capital L-O-R-D. It, whenever you see uh, the, the word Lord in the Old Testament, uh, usually it's, it's in the place of uh, the, the proper name of, of God, Yahweh. And they're wanting to protect his name, right? And so here we know Yahweh is, is the, the personal name of God, which means he who is the ever-present God, Yahweh. Wow, his name reveals his presence. He who is, he's present. Yahweh. Have faith in him. Have faith in his prophets. Have faith in his word. Our faith has an object that it rests in. Everyone in this room, our faith, our our trust is is resting in something. It might be in ourselves. It might be in something outside of ourselves. We're, We're resting, we're trusting in something. They were making a decision. Jehoshaphat in that moment is making a decision uh, to put all of his rest and trust in the word of the Lord. Then he appoints men to ready the archers. No, he doesn't do that. Then he, tells, he says, ready the catapults. No, do not do that. Align the men with the shields and the spears. Send them out. No, he doesn't do that. Where's the worship team? The choir. Let's get these guys. That's what he does. Now, either Jehoshaphat doesn't like his worship team very much, or he has a lot of faith brewing in his heart and trust in the Lord's word. That they, they really aren't going to do the fighting, but the Lord is. Because I, I don't know the—I've I, I, not gone into a fight with my guitar, all right? I don't, I don't think it's going to help me. You might. What did they sing? They sang of God's covenant faithfulness. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Beautiful song. We sang it this morning intentionally. Knowing that I was going to preach this, I picked that song to sing. And I thought to myself, man, this is so cool. We get to sing this ancient song that they sang. They weren't singing Sandra McCracken's version. But they were singing these words. And they were, they were singing an ancient song psalm 136 and so here we are we're in this long line of those who have looked to the lord and have been standing on his promises and we're delighting in his goodness and his covenant love and so here they are this voice is raised imagine the scene the choir this large group of people with instruments and horns and stringed instruments and just loud voices proclaiming god's faithfulness and goodness beautiful display of trust There's nothing like a song of praise in desperate times, is there? I carry them with me. I got songs I lean on. They're like mini sermons that just I sing out to the Lord when I'm feeling real low. I'm feeling like the heaviness is coming upon me, and there's just circumstances that are just too much for me, just singing a song of praise. Well, finally, God delivers. God delivers. Let's, Let's read about it. Verse 22. As they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes. He set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. They were fighting each other. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looks toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day they a- assembled in the Valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. They began to sing. The Lord began to battle. In verses 28, 27, 28, they're led by their king. They return joyfully to Jerusalem after doing nothing but collecting plunder. Back to the temple, the place of God's presence, playing all kinds of instruments. All right, so why are we given this story? Why are we given this slice of history? Originally, 2 Chronicles is given to who? It was written to those who came out of Babylonian captivity. You can read more about the history of Israel. But they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, exiled there. They had come back to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's walls are torn down. The temple needs to be rebuilt. Worship needs to be restored. Hope was fading. Faith was shaky. And this story would have been such an inspiration. He's brought you back, back to your land. You can trust him. He's for you. So it's a story that inspires hope. It inspired hope. For the original hearers of the story, it inspires hope for us today. But it's also filled with anticipation. What do I mean? That a king will come in the line of David. And there were promises that, that a king would come in the line of David, just like Joash. I say Joash, Jehoshaphat. <laughs> I've got it abbreviated in my notes. But a king would come in, in, in David's line who would lead his people as king, but also intercede as priest. Now here, Jesus not only believed the prophets like Jehoshaphat, he fulfilled them. And Jesus is that king who leads, and Jesus is that priest who intercedes, and Jesus is that place of God's presence, place of forgiveness and restoration and now, church, we stand and we look at the victory that's been won for us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. A battle that's so much greater than defeating uh, the Moabites. What we were powerless to do, God did for us. Reconciling us to our reconciling us to Him. And now, in the face of any grief, you, you just show me a trial, show me a circumstance, show me a trouble of any kind. In the face of that, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. In the face of that, we can make our appeals to promises that have been made and kept in Jesus. We can fall on the truth of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus. Just like Jehoshaphat was falling on promises made to Abraham, God had kept and fulfilled, and now here we are thousands of years later. Yeah, we can lean on promises to Abraham and promises to David and promises to Moses, but we're looking also to the promises that have been made and kept in Jesus and what that means for our lives. Promises like what? Promises like his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price for our sins and to reconcile us to a holy God, to cleanse us and to then give us a righteousness that we, just, we don't deserve. And, and, and promises that mean not only uh, are my sins forgiven, but now I'm made new and I'm called to walk in newness of life and power with uh, an eye on this this future day of complete restoration and and complete eradication of sin and brokenness. I long for that day. But in the meantime, in the in-between, where we live, where we all live, we live falling on promises. Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We say the same thing, but maybe we could say it this way, We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and pioneer of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So, when the day of my death comes, and I have moments left to live, if my mind is still there, I want to be clinging to the promises of Jesus, that even in the face of death, that awful enemy, he reigns supreme, and his promises are true. Can you remember a time that you felt your back was against the wall? You might be there. You might feel completely helpless right now. It doesn't feel good, does it? All kinds of fears and frustrations. You might think, man, Darren, I could never have the kind of faith you're describing but I want to encourage you, church, you do have that kind of faith. If you're trusting in Jesus, if you're believing his promises, keep believing those promises. God has not changed. He's the same as he was for Jehoshaphat. Is your hope fading? Is, is maybe your faith shaky today? F- from COVID? From the systemic racism that you're tired of? From circumstances of our times that are overwhelming and. We, we read about it or we experience it and we're like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Good. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. We don't know what to do, but we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and we're going to move forward in prayer, which is something, it's not nothing. And we're going to trust your goodness and your promises. Let's pray. Father, Father, Thank you for this story, this ancient story of a king who trusted you, of a king who was helpless before his enemy. But thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to fight the fight for him. You've done the same for us. You fought a fight that we could not win. You stepped in when we were completely helpless and you'll do it again. faithful. So help us to move forward in what we're facing with songs of praise about your goodness and faithfulness. And help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Amen.